I think it's about connection, isn't it? You have to connect with the place and, and spend time before you do anything. And I absolutely loved my previous garden and I just felt, I, I felt heartbroken that I was leaving it. And so I had to make a garden straight away I, uh, when we moved because my house is not a home until it has a garden. I don't really, I kind of care about the interior, but it's the garden for me that makes, makes the difference. Hi, I'm Dan Rubenstein, and this is The Grand Tourist. I've been a design journalist for nearly 20 years. And this is my personalized guided tour through the worlds of fashion, art, architecture, food, and travel, all the elements of a well-lived life. Before we start up season five in September, welcome to the third and final episode of The Great Outdoors, sponsored by Janus AC, a leader in design-driven outdoor furniture. For most of us, the pandemic was a time for isolation, frustration, sorrow, and contemplation. For those stuck at home, that meant a renewed interest in anything domestic, from what kind of art to collect to what kind of food to put on the table. And for some, they found solace in the garden. These small patches of land have become microcosms of our culture at large, combining issues of the environment, personal health, economics, and the ever-evolving amounts of free time and how we choose to spend it. My three guests today are some of the best minds to talk to about all things gardening and how this ancient pastime is more relevant than ever. We're joined by Melissa Ozawa, the former Features and Gardens Editor at Martha Stewart Living Magazine, as well as Claire Foster, the current Garden Editor at House and Garden UK, who also runs her own site called Bud to Seed. And to round out the panel, we're joined by award-winning garden designer Luciano Jubile. He's an Italian native based in London, whose work is best described as naturalistic yet refined. Luciano also works on a special project in Mallorca called The Potter's House, a rustic retreat for artists and designers. I wanted to get the trio's thoughts on how gardening has changed in this post-pandemic moment, how to create a garden resistant to climate change, why everyone is obsessed with meadows for some reason, and if edible gardens are here to stay. I guess I just wanted to quickly start and say some uh, hellos and introductions. Uh, Claire, why don't you tell everybody uh, who you are and what you do? I am the garden editor at House and Garden Magazine UK, and um, I've been there quite a long time. Uh, and previous to that, I was uh, um, at Gardens Illustrated. So I've, I've been in the world of, of uh, magazines and garden journalism for a very, very long time. And I also have my own website, which is Bud to Seed. And I have a little online shop on there and, um, uh, and my own kind of journalism on there, too. So that's me. And- and where do you where are you calling in from? So I live in um, Berkshire, in in a little village, so in the Berkshire Downs, and I've got a I live in um, uh, an old cottage, and I've got a cottage garden of about a third of an acre, which um, I spend a lot of time in. Uh, well, we have three former House and Garden brand uh, alums here. You, you and me and Melissa and I worked together a mini moon ago at uh, House and Garden USA. Uh, Melissa, tell us uh, a little bit about yourself and uh, where you're calling in from. Well, I'm calling in from New York City, um, down in the village, right near Washington Square Park. Um, and I've been a garden editor for uh, close to 20 years now. And until recently, I was the features and garden editor of Martha Stewart Living Magazine until they closed the magazine, sadly, um, just a few months ago. And I would say, like, you were an assistant editor, I believe, maybe, or even an assistant when I was I, there that was and my, I was working. Yes. I made a transition. I worked um, in the poetry world for years before deciding I really wanted to work with gardens um, and magazines. And House and Garden magazine was the one I, there were articles with poets and gardens. And I just was, that was really wanted to work there. And yeah, so I started as an assistant and and went up from there. And it was just an incredible, incredible work work experience. Just learned from so many stellar editors there. I still have all of my issues from those three from that three year period. Yes, staring at them right in front of me right now. Uh, and Luciano uh, is is uh, I believe calling in from Florence today. Uh, is that is that right? That's right. Where are you normally based? These days I'm based between uh, London, Mallorca, and Tuscany. I 
been uh, designing gardens for the last uh, 25 years and uh, I'm based mainly in England is where my studio is and uh, yeah but I also have a residence in uh, in Mallorca where I develop in a field and uh, which is a very personal project. And uh, yeah, so I spend a lot of time there. And how long have you been doing uh, being a, a garden designer? Being a garden designer, well, I came to England in 1993 and I started my uh, practice in my studio in 1996. And, uh, you know, this is for the this is for the panel, uh, you know, as a design person, where I will admit I'm, 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 I'm like gardens are, a, are always been a blind spot as much as I love them. And I've always been fascinated by how different regions around the world have different gardening cultures and obviously to do with landscape and weather and everything. And so maybe Claire, I'll start with you that the, the UK tradition of gardening is quite strong and, and quite, un, and I would say unique in, in, in many different ways. How would you generally describe that tradition uh, uh, of an English garden, um, you know, versus an American one or, you know, on the East coast or a French one, for example. Well, yeah, I mean, it's, it, it's, it's a very strong t- tradition and, and of course people have been gardening in this country for years and years and years. So I, it's hard to say that there's one English garden, but, uh, you know, the epitome of an English garden, I think, is um, a cottage garden with lots of roses and hollyhocks and, and bright colours uh, and perhaps, um, you know, some structure, some evergreen structure with, with box. Um, but, you know, it can be anything, really. And uh, that that's why it's so exciting in this country, I think, because from you know the historic traditions it's it 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 can spin off in so many different directions and uh there's also like a a, a, maybe a european thing it may just be a british thing i'm not sure like the the idea of an allotment and like which is something that we kind of don't have here as much uh can you explain that a little bit am i like making that up no no (laughs) allotments are huge here and um i used to have one actually when i was living in london and that's how i started gardening funnily enough Um, what are they well allotments to american listeners (laughs) allotments are bits of communal land basically uh where you can you can apply for for one wherever you live uh, where you grow traditionally your own vegetables, fruit and vegetables. Um, but a lot of people now grow flowers as well. And they became huge in um, the the post-war period because uh, people had wanted to grow their own fruit and their veg. Uh, and so they were allotted these allotment plots, which are huge, mm. actually. They're kind of nine metres by 15 metres or something. Don't quote me on that size, but they're big plots of land. And people have little shacks there because that's where they keep everything. And they're kind of, they almost look like little cottages sometimes. And it's kind of like a part of a lifestyle in a way. Yeah, no, absolutely. And And you can learn so much by gardening on an allotment because you go and you share ideas with people. I mean, when I had my first allotment, I I, I used to go and talk to all the old men who had allotments and and just learned so much about making compost and, and everything, getting all their tips. And so it's a lot about sharing and uh, it's 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 a it's a really great tradition, but not only in England as well. Actually, I think you know there are a lot of the European countries have allotments as well. They don't call them that, but they have dachas in in Russia, for example. Um, so yeah, it's a it's a European tradition. Luciano, is there anything like that uh, in Italy, or is everyone just kind of their own home garden kind of, or because there's such agriculture out there also that it's maybe a different tradition what is it no like? i think uh, um, vegetable gardens are big are very seasonal in in italy versus you know the allotment in england which is uh, you know run all all year round is a uh, but uh, um yeah um, people share um, um, the findings i think gardens is pretty much about that and and is about community and uh, and is about uh, you know, exchanging information and, uh, and refining the ideas. And, and Luciano, which region are from Italy are you from originally? I'm from uh, Toscana, Siena. Ah, okay. And 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 what is the sort of the how would you describe the, the Tuscan tradition of the personal garden? Well, I I grew up in a place where there was absolutely no garden. I, I grew up in the center of Siena, and, and I have no memories of gardens. Um, mm. 
but um, coming back as a as somebody who makes the gardens for a living and uh, um, obviously is a it's a it's a huge community around it, the more historical gardens and the um, and what it takes to take care of those gardens as well as um, 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 gardens like 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 we do as sort of more contemporary say designer or garden makers or gardeners whatever you want to call it but is is a there is a lot of people that are interested um about exchanging a day i just find uh, a lot of people in italy a lot of people from england move to italy to garden um they're very interesting to the mediterranean climatic condition the the no use of water and a lot of uh, uh new new techniques of 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 gardening so so when those british uh tourists or people come here and they buy a second home what is the what is the thing that they think that they're going to be growing uh in tuscany are they are they dying to you know make pasta sauce and <laughs> grow tomatoes and things <laughs> that's what i would do no, absolutely sure 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 pasta sauce is yeah. top of the list but as i would say yeah, I mean, it's, we have different uh, ways of seeing gardens. I would say that um, in my experience, is always been highly personal to the, to the client in terms of what they grow and the way they uh, like to use the space. But the place itself, sort of, you already have a dialogue between the place and the, and the, and the client, which sets out what, you got, what you're going to do. Before we return to the panel, a word from our sponsor, Janus AC. In the world of design, an appreciation of the outdoors is more important in our lives than ever before. Enter Janus AC. As a leader in outdoor furniture for more than 40 years, the brand combines unparalleled levels of craft and engineering to create works by the world's best designers and architects. From Andre Fu and Gabellini Shepard to Piero Lissoni. But beyond the incredible products and designs, Janus AC provides a level of service and expertise that's always best in class. Janus AC's Kyoto Alu collection balances the past and present, drawing its name and inspiration from Kyoto, Japan. Each piece resembles bamboo furniture, but instead is made from a lightweight powder-coated aluminum with hand-woven Janus fiber, a proprietary material designed to withstand the elements. The line, which includes rounded armchairs, sofas, ottomans, and side tables, features generous proportions with distinctive patterns that are elevated by luxuriously plush cushions. The eye-catching pieces come in a bright limestone and a dark lava and suit almost any mood for any outdoor space. Mai Tai, anyone? To create a unique outdoor living space that passes the test of time, make an appointment at your local Janus AC showroom or visit janusac.com. That's J-A-N-U-S-E-T-C-I-E. And, and Melissa, what part of the states are you from originally? Um, I am from New Jersey, um, uh, but we—I was born because I'm very exotic. Um, I was born in Tokyo, and so I, I lived there until I was a, almost five. Um, and that sort of living in the city there and just seeing gardens and then moving to New Jersey <laughs> um, <laughs> it was a very different but uh, seeing gardens there is a very um, kind of eye-opening experience and having it and then everybody in small spaces there but doing a lot with a tiny tiny space um, and we do have not not allotments in the sizes that we that they do in England but in in New York City there are small community gardens where you can get a plot that's much smaller than what the allotments have I think in England but um, there are several or you know more than several around the city um, and you can grow anything there but it's very competitive to get a get a space there um, they're long waiting lists and um, lots of stories about <laughs> competitive gardeners and I mean it's competitive here to get a plot for a cemetery so exactly. or, or, or a slot for or a slot for kindergarten so exactly you know, or parking space having your own <laughs> having any kind of space would be uh is automatically <laughs> any kind of space for anything is a nightmare here um and, and you know we're coming out of this lockdown period and and clearly it has affected the world of art and design and so many and creativity in so many different ways did I'd love to just ask the group, you know, what was um, lockdown like for you? And did you kind of connect with your own personal gardens during that time? 
yeah, I mean, I did definitely. I, I, I loved the first part of lockdown. I know it's not not a great thing to say, but I really loved it because I had more time. We had an issue of, of house and garden that 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 was was cancelled basically, so I had a month where I could just relax, and it was God, it was so lovely, and the weather here was was really nice in that first lockdown, and so I just yeah, I slowed myself down, and I really kind of looked at things, and I photographed my own garden endlessly, and um and weeded slowly and properly and it was yeah it was different was there anything that you changed uh as lockdown kind of went on that you kind of you know because it's like if you if you're going to spend lockdown redecorating your house you're going to make decisions like is there are there any decisions you made about your garden while you were in that period i did i didn't i didn't make any major changes because the plants were very difficult to get hold of compost was very difficult to get hold of so I just kind of tweaked what I had really and really enjoyed doing that and you know I mean I I guess the one thing we did do was was get a new outdoor sofa which was very nice and which we've used a lot Um, and we got it early enough because you couldn't get any outdoor furniture at all last year it was uh, or the year before It, it, it people just went crazy and they were enjoying their garden so much which is a good thing I think. And Luciana what about you what was your sort of lockdown experience like? Lockdown experience with yeah was um, probably for like most people was a uh, um, catalyst for what we're doing today and in in a, in a sense that I was for nine months in Mallorca in this village and 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 the lockdown there was quite strict you couldn't drive out of the village without consent from that you were going to work you couldn't go out to do shopping in terms of with your car but you had to work you know all of the sort of things that highly unusual um, but it is it forces me at a certain point because we are so used to to travel and to make things and to yeah have trees turning up on site and cranes and and huge array of uh, of energy um, and I, and I'm all of a sudden we are there you know taking care of the garden in the in the house which is a courtyard garden I found myself after two months three months being there uh looking for a field outside the village uh and uh and I started to build a dry stone wall with a local um stone mason and 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 that was a uh, two hundred and forty linear meters of sort of weaving dry stone walling with the idea of creating a garden within the wall and um, sort of more natural landscape outside and, and 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 that's what led me you know sort of lockdown led me to that you have this beautiful space uh the potter's house in mallorca can you explain a little bit about uh you know what that is and um and and, and potter house how pe- the potter's house is a is a um is a house a ceramist house in the village of son Cervera, and was the house of maria antonia carrio um, which was a local um, ceramist. Um, she was uh, somebody that I met only for 24 hours and uh, and in the time that I met her what struck me uh, of the things she said was about how how difficult it is to make beautiful things and that and that phrase sort of uh, um, stayed with me and uh, um, I, I got the house after she passed away uh, and that was five five months after from a local that called me and tracked me down in terms of uh, knew knew that I met her and she had an impression like I did have an impression of her and uh, and I decided to take the house. And so, do you use it as a as just your own personal house or, or what is your? No, actually, when I go there, I do very little leisurely work because I have a field, I have two gardeners, I have my own garden there. Also, because there are two uh, studios, in sort of ceramic studios in the in the house. Um, one of the things about um, thinking about the house and taking the house on was also to keep the purpose of the house going. So the studio should keep on 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 working. So we invite an artist every year to be at the studio, and after we have an exhibition which is on at the moment. There is not much. There is not much. Uh, uh, not leisure. a lot of downtime. No. 
Yeah. I mean, beautiful beaches. It's a minimal and gorgeous. And I will link to it on the Instagram because it is quite, quite beautiful. Uh, Melissa, are you doing any, any gardening? I mean, you're in, you're in New York City. I am so. in New York City, but um, I do have a little outdoors, tiny, tiny outdoor space, which was, was a real safe uh, savior for us when during the beginning of lockdown because we were you know, stuck here. And it was a pretty grim period, if you remember, early on, just you know, sirens nonstop and, um, and just having the outdoor space and starting seeds, which was this one thing that I think everybody started doing. Seed places were sold out um, right away. And, um, and that sort of was a hopeful thing. And it gave people, um, something exciting. And a lot of people were growing a lot of vegetables and edible things so that they, because you couldn't go to the grocery store. Um, so I do have a, a place up, uh, I do have a little garden upstate, um, about a couple hours north of the city. And we just recently redid the vegetable garden and um, with raised beds, which has been a godsend <laughs> because I don't have to tussle with the, the rocky, rooty soil anymore. And it's been really wonderful. So after this, we're heading up there and I'm going to be able to harvest things that I've planted. <laughs> so it's great. Have you, have you guys found that during this period, people are growing different things? Claire, are you finding is there like a is there a trendy veg that people are that people are, are have been growing uh, because they in the UK maybe because of Brexit or maybe because of the cost of uh, things or just you know and stuff not being easily available? Is there anything that you find? Well, I, I think in lockdown it was whatever people could get hold of because yeah, like in, in the, the same as the US that the, the seed merchants just sold out so quickly, so it literally was whatever you could get available. But actually, I think people because we are having warmer weather this year and last year not so much but um you know that certain things we are able to grow better so things like butternut squash just never really does very much in our normal summer but um for me it's going really well this year all my squash is looking fantastic um and uh yeah, sweet corn and, and things like that, that don't usually do very well. They're doing quite well this year, apart from we are now having a drought. We haven't had any rain here for over a month. So uh, and we're feeling bad about watering so much. So and there probably will soon be a hosepipe ban, I think. But, you know, it's it's all those kind of things that you have to weigh up all the time. And And Luciano, I'm curious, as you start to talk to new clients come to you, um, and are, are you noticing what they're asking from you to be different now? I think what is very clear after lockdown and when we went through was that um, new clients had this real yearn to nourish the land, whatever that means for them. And, but is yeah, the really request of leaving things untouched where things have, haven't been touched for a number of years and how we are and be careful how you intervene within these within these environments yeah we, we had much more requests from southern europe in terms of making gardens and working with landscape and uh, and that i think has been the main things the sort of yeah the connection to the land and the and then and the taking care of the land is much more of a, of a request and people I think people want um, a, a garden that has less impact as well so and a less less formal garden and you know that the trend has been quite naturalistic for a long time but now it's naturalistic and you know sustainable and low maintenance and I think people are really connecting with that now which is a good thing can only be a good thing uh, do you find that your clients or, or the people, Luciano, or because obviously your, your clients must be, you know, fairly well off, um, Claire and you, you know, Melissa, you've you've covered, you know, people of means like are 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 people buying second homes or, you know, people of means to spend more physical time in the garden or, you know, or or do they want us just attend to it less as anybody knows who has a garden on their own? And it's a lot of work like you, you have to get on your knees and do it. For some people, that's the joy of it. And for others might be like, uh, I don't want to, <laughs> like, that's too much time now. Um, what do you, how are people reacting to, you know, gardens as something to enjoy and maybe keep very low maintenance and low energy, low water usage mostly? Or uh, is it really about you know, how much time they're going to physically get their hands in the dirt? For sure, it, there is something that is, uh, comes through that has more poetry and uh, what I mean by that is yeah the attachment to the land uh, pushed them to 
really think about how they're going to move forward with each decision that they make in, in terms of intervening. And uh, and as I see, I think we see that much more. Even even the level of poetry, I think as, as some as garden makers, maybe we with a sort of uh, dream sometimes, and uh, and we sort of go on journeys that they all think like us but after after you after you realize that there is different level of poetry and uh, and things needs to be accepted as uh, as where people are and uh, yeah, I think the climate crisis is something that we can't as gardeners ignore and I, I feel like there are a lot more people who are embracing native plants in the states and and I hope more people do that and more uh, garden designers encourage that and find interesting and unique ways of, of designing with them. And one of the benefits of, um, of working with native plants is that you don't need as much intervention. So you don't need as much water. You don't need as much, you know, you, you can kind of, once they're established, basically let them, let them do their thing. Um, and there are, there are garden, des, you know, firms that are uh, design firms that are starting to kind of take apart this notion of the suburban green space with the front lawn and it's all grass and perfectly green and are kind of flipping that on their heads and planting beautiful native meadows. There's a great, um, firm in Philadelphia area called Refugia, which is, you know, taking those cookie cutter suburban lawns and just, here you you drive past and there's this incredible vibrant um, sustainable meadow that's in your front lawn and it looks beautiful. But I'm hoping that that will sort of change the conversation and and what Americans think of as gardens. Um, there's also a, a group um, with Edwina Van Gaal um, called the Perfect Earth Project that is trying to break away from this sort of fertilizer, pesticide-induced um, green lawn and encouraging people to plant, um, what's, I think it's two-thirds for the birds is, her, is the catchphrase. So two-thirds of native plants um, and then you can, so you don't have to be strict, totally strict, but you can then incorporate that with other things. And I, I think that's, it's promising and I also hope, I see it as a challenge for designers to sort of do something new and interesting with it. And Claire, uh, I mean, this brings up a good point about, uh, you know, you guys just had this incredible heat wave in the UK, you know, once in a 500 year or whatever it was, 40 degrees Celsius, which I don't even know what that is. Mm, crazy. <laughs> in Fahrenheit, very, very, very high and very, very dry. Over 100, which is, you know, for England is crazy. Um, what would you tell your friends who who live near you or just who live in the UK, like planning their gardens, like, how do you how do you shift how do you adapt if we think that these kinds of heat waves are going to be happening you know not every once 500 years maybe once every two or three well i think you have to you have to look really carefully at what you're planting and i've been looking at, at my the plants in my garden and seeing the ones that really aren't happy and the ones that that are and thankfully most of them are pretty drought tolerant but I think there's a bit of a, a kind of swift um, trend in this country to suddenly go, right, we have to have Mediterranean plants. But the only thing is that we still get wet, cold winters. So you, basically, you we have to really think hard about the plants that are going to survive both of those extremes. Um, and that will narrow our plant choice down a bit. Um, but yeah, I think I think everyone, especially when there's a heat wave, there is a there's a big kind of hurry to go and get Mediterranean plants. <laughs> but um, that may not work, particularly. You know, I'm on clay, so particularly if you're on clay, for example, in the winter it gets waterlogged and cold and, and wet. And Mediterranean plants, for example, lavender, doesn't really like my garden very much. So it's you have to be very thoughtful about it. I think. And uh, I mean, in the UK, also you have, there's also floods, right? So is that that's also impacting? I guess what you can is there certain types of plants that are will adapt to to flooding or at least to yeah. lots and lots and lots of water? Yeah, no, there there are, but those plants might not necessarily survive weeks of drought as well. So mm. <laughs> you know, you literally have right. to find the bulletproof ones, um, the the really tough ones that will survive both. <laughs> and for us in the Northeast, is uh, is the hydrangea 
Is it native? Is that is that native? I don't know, but it feels like there it is. is a, because there I, is a native variety. I think it's the aborescence, uh, but that, not the mop head that you see everywhere. The, that's a, okay. an Asian. Um, yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, good because I'm tired. I'm. I'm also. I have a love hate relationship with hydrangeas. So that'll be another. <laughs> could be a whole other. Yeah, anyone who's, who photographs anyone who photographs homes, I think in the U.S. Is, has a very love hate relationship with them. Before we return to the panel, a word from our sponsor, Janice AC. As any design aficionado will tell you, some designs become icons, not just for their originality, but for their versatility and eternal elegance. The Amari Collection is one of those lines that will be found in the gardens and terraces of the finest homes for generations to come. Created by the founder of the company, Janice Feldman, the Amari Collection is instantly recognizable. Sculptural and curvaceous, each piece, from two cedars and armchairs to ornaments and a minimalistic chaise, is a work of art that reminds me of the classic mid-century designs still fond over today. Using the brand's legendary engineering know-how, the Amari designs are made in a lightweight aluminum frame, covered in the brand's signature woven Janus coat that's available in finishes from caramel to bamboo green. It's one collection that this grand tourist would be proud to entertain on indoors and out. To acquire your own piece of this designer favorite collection, make an appointment at your local Janus AC showroom or visit JanusAC.com. That's J-A-N-U-S-E-T-C-I-E.com. And, and I'm, you know, as a, I'm more of a design person and, and we were just talking about the hydrangea menace in the publishing world. Um, are there trends in the gardening world? I, I feel like I've seen this sort of meadow trend. Is that? Oh, yeah. No, definitely. It, it's big. But but what is a meadow? You know, is it a a natural, a, a, um, a native meadow? Uh, over here, it can be a, what I call a kind of super meadow, which is perennials. It can be a seed mix of, of um you know, a mixture of native plants and non-native plants that 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 looks nicer. Because actually, if you have a native meadow over here, it's 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 very recessive. You, you get tiny flowers, and maybe some years you don't get any flowers. You just get grasses. And people, when they think, I think the word meadow, especially in 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 Britain, just conjures up this colourful, beautiful kind of. Uh, cornflowers and poppies and things like that and it's just not that <laughs> I mean it can be that some years it can be that but then the following year it can be a nothing and that's just nature and that's how it is so it's kind of educating people what a what a meadow is but um yeah so something that I've seen talking to garden garden designers like like you Luciano um has been that that in in England at, at least um younger people, younger wealthy people are buying estates and buying big country estates and tracts of land. And they are really keen to to plant meadows and they are keen to um to really garden or, or or treat the land in a very ecological way. So that's a positive thing, I think, because I think the you know the the message about climate change is obviously filtering through at last. Um, and younger people are coming through and and wanting to do something really valuable to the to their land. And Melissa, what do you what's the next trend? What do you think is the next big thing? You know, <laughs> what's after the meadow? Well, yes, the meadow. Is there or do you see anything bubbling up now uh, beyond like you know kind of more sustainable, which we've been talking about for a long time, but now of course it's uh, on supercharged, but. What's what's next, do you think? Well, I mean, a lot of people, and I think this is coming out of the lockdown and pandemic, but edible gardening has become, I think it's really taken off more, you know, it always has been popular, but I feel like a lot of designers are, are becoming, are being asked to do kind of bigger and or just a lot of, of edible gardens. Um, and I think that's exciting. Um, and in not just, you know, large plots of land. Um, you can do it with, you know, tiny pots and in a on a little terrace and and have things that are fruitful and um and that's that's super exciting. Um, and uh, I hope I hope that continues, and I hope that also you know I, I talk about the sustainability, but I think you know still with some of the higher end garden designers and um, and larger estates, they're still as they transition. I think it'll be interesting to see what will how the how the gardens will evolve, because you know there are certain plants that don't work in certain regions um, that 
will have to change. And that'll be it'll be curious to see how that how that works. Luciano, are, you, are people asking you for anything edible? <laughs> no, of course. I mean, uh, vegetable garden or the orto is a very is one on top of the list. But I think when you, I mean, depends on the owners. But most owners are pretty busy running their lives, their family lives, and so the gardener becomes an important figure in this and the sort of education in terms of who is going to take care of this and who is going to maintain this and I think is a really important one. I think gardeners today are probably the most influential people that you can speak to. I find it extremely, um, but not just the very famous one, I think not just the very famous gardeners. I think it's also the gardeners that sort of had hands-on experience and had ears under the belt and they and they know a lot and they can come and they are prepared to travel and move their life to other places to take care of that garden and, and sort of, and this is a great opportunity. I think when we explain to clients, if there is a gardener that is, offering that. That is a great opportunity for the garden. I think when we talk about vegetable garden, depends on the size, of course, and our expectations, a garden is top of the list. Mm. And speaking of edible gardens, are, are any of you home cooks? Do you, uh, Claire, Melissa, or Luciano, like what do you, uh, who here is most likely, most likely to be like uh, growing you know what, did you, uh, Melissa? Did you make anything on your terrace? And, uh, not on my <laughs> terrace, lockdown? but um, cause, but uh, up in up in the country, yes, all the time. That's why. I mean, I love to eat. That's one of the reasons why I grow a lot of vegetables because that's my favorite thing. <laughs> What's to your do. favorite uh, thing to grow? Well, nowadays, grow and grow, grow and, and eat. Cook I mean, eat. like uh, you know, I'm still on the kale kale bandwagon, but I, I love it. I can't <laughs> I can't get enough of it. What and do one, you do with the kale though? Because I've got so much kale at the moment. I need some ideas. Well, one of my favorite things is it's so simple and everybody does it, but it's a kale salad with um, lemon, garlic. And olive oil and salt and then a little Parmesan cheese and you can add currants or, or not um, but that and it's it lasts for days so you just kind of massage the leaves with oil salt squeeze some lemon shave some garlic in and it's it's heaven and you can really you really can eat it for days because it lasts and doesn't get wilted and um, but that's that's one of my favorite things to do Claire what, what about you um, well one of my favorite crops to grow is um uh, a squash called uh, crown prince and that is just it, it actually it's easier to grow in our climate i think than um butternut squash and it just is so delicious and i make soups from it they you harvest them in kind of september october and they literally last because they've got that kind of hard skin they last until the spring summer the following year and they're they're just yeah they're, they're that's one of my favorite crops and chard all the time but my my family get completely fed up with chard <laughs> what do you do with chard oh lots of things with chard um there's an otolenghi recipe quite a really nice one with chickpeas that's really good i'm always making i've got chickens as well so i'm always making um omelets with chard <laughs> so yeah that, everything i can that brings up a that brings up a good point is that, you know, even my cousin, <laughs> even my cousin in Connecticut is like started to have like a chicken coop, which is like now such a thing. And it's definitely been, you know, exploded on things like YouTube and how to keep them and, and how to feed them and how to keep them healthy and how to fence them in. And like, you know, obviously in New York, it's uh, some people keep pigeons, you know, apparently like you're Mike Tyson or somebody. Um but Claire, like, what has it been? How long have you had chickens? And, Quite a long time. And, and, and before it was cool, I'm sure. Maybe before it was cool. <laughs> yes. uh, and uh, what, what, uh, like, why? First of all, why? If you could just go to the store, I'm, you know, <laughs> I've heard they, they taste amazing and they're totally so much different. Better. <laughs> oh, so much better. And they're, well, they're just lovely things to have around. Mine are outside in the garden and I let them out at this time of year. I don't let them out in spring because they'll go and eat all my seedlings and scratch everything up. But, um, no, I've had I've I've had chickens in three of, of my I've moved house with chickens basically. I mean they're not the same ones. I've had lots of different ones, but I've got three at the moment, and I rescued them. and And I have to say, because you get all these kind of battery chickens over here, and and they only keep them for nine months, and then their their egg production goes slightly down, and then they just bin them, they just kill them. So there's charities in this country that go and come in and rescue them and and it's great and they're so happy now and they're just running around <laughs> and i've given them a second life 
And what is that kind of uh, like a slightly less production? Like how many eggs are you getting in a week? Oh, they're laying every day for me. Because they're happy, oh, well, you know. I know how many, how many eggs could these home gardeners need? No, That's I know. Fine. I think because they were when I got them, they were really thin and scrawny, and they're just you know they're just packed into this barn altogether, and they're just so. Then of course their egg production slightly goes down. They might lay one every other day, but that's not good enough. They have to lay you pop one out every day. <laughs> oh gosh! Uh, so. And do you think that this is like? Is there any way in which that creates a kind of harmony with the garden? The sort of like new livestock trend of like people keeping chickens and things like that yeah definitely i mean I, that you know i use their um the, the straw and their bedding and their all uh, you know the, the the chicken poo basically goes on in my compost and then that helps fertilize my vegetable beds and then i like to think that um they eat lots of slugs and and things like that and and this probably isn't popular but i do give feed them snails as well but you know oh, uh, otherwise the snails <laughs> go and eat Oh my right. props. <laughs> Would you catch the snails in your own garden and, and feed it to them? Yeah. Is that what you're saying? That's what you're Oh, okay. Yeah. I was like, wow, no, that's a good. I, I mean, you, I don't know. In the US, I don't know. I feel like I don't see snails that often, but maybe Melissa, oh, am I yes. crazy? No. Or am I just yeah. a city boy so <laughs> city long boy. that like the idea of a snail is like, it's super exotic to me? Mm, yeah. They're there, especially with heavy rains. Okay. And are they, there must be a menace. Are they a menace to certain types of... Uh... Yeah, I mean, I, they start, I had so many because we had quite... It just seems weird now because it's been so dry, but we had quite a wet early spring. And, you know, it's when all those kind of juicy seedlings come up and they just they just muller them. They just eat them. So, yeah, they're a pain. <laughs> Claire, like as fresh, these sort of fresh laid eggs, like what do you find yourself kind of making? Is there anything that you're making in the kitchen that, that maybe... Uh... You wouldn't have done, you know, something that uses a lot of eggs. Well, right? yeah, just loads of omelets, basically, and those <laughs> Spanish omelets, and yeah, yeah. Whenever there's a surplus, uh, I can't. I can't. I've got one of those horrible English traditions, which is an argo, which is switched off at the moment, so I can't make cakes in the summer because <laughs> I don't have an oven. I, I would say if you met somebody, a friend, who said, "Okay, during the pandemic, I was I moved out to the country." you know, in a panic, as so many people did, and purchased a large suburban home. I have a, I have a huge yard. Um, it's just sort of grass and a few trees. And, you know, a, it's like a lawn, and that's it. And, uh, you know, you're, you're, if it was me, let's say, and, um, and I, I don't know what to do. Uh, what would you tell this sort of like new blank slate person with a garden like what would you tell them is like your first piece of advice if i'm like okay i'm going to transform my backyard into a, a proper garden um you know where would someone begin if they find themselves in that situation as so many people have employ a landscape gardener like a landscape designer like luciano <laughs> hire luciano yes, yes. <laughs> i think also living in the land for at least i think a year before you do anything major um that way you understand you know where rain collects where's what happens in the winter time um where the sun hits um how the how your land kind of evolves over the seasons i think is really helpful rather than you know starting right away and then being like oh no i planted this plant here which gets tons of water and it's not good and figuring things out. So I think patience is really important, but I, I do agree. Um, and also thinking big picture rather than just saying, I love this plant, I'm going to pop it in. And then sort of you get this mishmash of things um, when instead of not something thought out, which, which is where a landscape architect or landscape designer will help you realize your vision. And if you, and you know, what should someone who's never hired a landscape designer or an architect, what should be their number one question? Uh, Luciano, what would you say if you if if you yourself wanted to hire someone else to do your garden? Uh, what would you be? What would be the first question out of your mouth? Uh, good question. I was uh, I would ask what it is that you like about this land and uh, or this place or this property, and uh, why would you like to work here? I think that's the main reason. I mean, making gardens is or creating gardens is. Uh, is a dialogue and is a dialogue with the place as well with the clients always but is 
also is a huge time investment for anybody involved. Going further in life, obviously, you become more and more aware as time shrinks. But you definitely uh, start to have consideration. There is no there is no garden that you make in that is a bit less than three to five years. I don't know any gardens that I'm making that is less than three to five years. And uh, in terms of making the garden as planning the garden, no, I'm not talking about just taking care of the garden. That's that's the time that it takes. So uh, means that, you know, um, yeah, that tight commitment needs some reasons. And I think that that's the main things that I would like to know sort of when we enter in the journey. But I think the, your your previous questions and, and, and was, I, I you know, in terms of what would, how, how would you start is always about, you know, there are certain things that are really, really important within that, within that property, even if it's nothing, even if it's just like a, a view or just a tree or, or, or is the light falling into the house in a certain time of the day. And I think that's, that's sort of the starting point when you think about space. And if I were to ask each of you, uh, you know, if you're you're speaking with friends and you're always giving advice for for things like the garden, you know, for gardening and um, growing one and keeping one, what is that kind of one piece of advice that you would say is like your number one go-to piece of advice that you tell people? I think, well, I guess recently, you know, rec I would say do no harm. Um, I think that I feel like as I said before, the climate crisis is really, it's frightening me. And I hate walking into some big box stores and seeing rows and rows of pesticides and fertilizers and plants that don't belong in places where I am. And I feel like gardeners who love nature, love the earth, love plants and pollinators and, and, um, and animals really need to think very carefully about what they're planting and, um, and think about the earth. And there are so many wonderful plants out there that can do well that don't require a lot of intervention. So I think that would be my, my number one thing to say. And then, you know, obviously find plants that you love because that's going to make you love your garden. Because one of these things that when friends ask you that question is really hard to answer. Um, I mean, a lot of friends ask me. Um, and sometimes even I get involved in helping, um, can sort of get carried away um, too. But I, I think ultimately, you know, you know, the gardens, mainly are city gardens, are people that I know in London. And I... And, and, and grow what you what you what you love growing. I mean, it's, it's, I mean, there are certain there are certain environment, you know, with especially with the English garden. I mean, I know it's been hot, but it's, the weather is pretty favorable, and uh, and uh, grow what grow what you love to grow, and um, let's make a wish list. And, and and I think that's 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 would be the approach. I think you must uh, you must have something that you go out at a certain times of the years and you still say despite of everything wow i love that i think that's the important thing well i always say um when when people are especially when people are growing things from seed just keep trying because a lot of people give up with gardening and um they find it difficult and they don't succeed straight away and and i just say just keep trying and and also that it's not an exact science. There is no right and wrong about gardening. You just have to keep going and do it your own way and find your own ways. I mean, when I'm going through growing things from seed, I still have complete disasters. Things don't germinate, but everyone does because that's, you know, that's that's life, that's gardening. So yeah, keep trying and, and engage with it and, and enjoy it. And today in the year 2022, if I asked uh, each of you, uh, a very simple question. Why keep a garden? Why do it at all? What would you say? It, it's, it's just fun. It's, you know, it's, there's so much, it, as it, it never, it's never not changing. Um, it's, there's an amazing things happening all the time if you look closely. And I think that's what's, um, what's so wonderful. Um, it could be, 
you know, an insect that's visiting a flower that you had never seen before. It could be the way a flower smells in the evening that doesn't smell in the morning. Um, the vegetable that you harvest. I mean, all those things that um, that you can do um, year round. You can take things inside, um, pots inside, and transplant things inside during the winter time if it's too cold to keep out. But all of those things, I think, is um, it just it's ever evolving and endlessly fun and entertaining. And it makes you feel good. It, uh, you know, gardening makes you feel good. It, 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 uh, it's good for your mental health. It's good for your well-being. Um, you know, I know it's not everyone's cup of tea, but it is, it, it, it is really good for you. You're engaging with nature. You're engaging with the seasons. Uh, you are watching things grow, and uh, it's, it's, uh, you know, it's that word that 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 buzzword of the moment, which is biophilia, which is that connection that human beings have to to have with with nature, even though a lot of people don't realize that anymore. Um, it's imp- it's so important, and having your own garden, your own piece of nature, is incredibly good for you. And no matter how long you're doing it, when that seed seedling pops up through through the soil it just there's this elation that happens even if it's your like thousands hundred thousand seed that you've seen it you, you still get that thrill which i think is wonderful i mean everything i know is through gardens and, um, and so for me it's like uh, will be you know the reason to keep a garden will be like uh, you know of course connection with oneself but connection with our people will create a community and uh, and even the smallest place is a is a place of gatherings and uh, and is a place of communion and is a is a real is a real hub and is is not just about plants it's about people and uh, and I think uh, uh, yeah um, having experienced oneself in the nine months in um, in Mallorca I would say that the garden sort of um, saved save me and uh, and 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 i and i hugely recommend to anybody who's going through anything <laughs> a garden will save you i i was just reading i think that's very true i was just rereading um stanley kunitz who's a poet whose birthday is today he passed away many years ago but he um had a garden in provincetown and and wrote a lot about gardens and he um went through a very bad health scare in I think when he was around 100 years old or 90 something and he was in in his bed and everybody thought he was dying and he was sitting with his editor a woman named Janine Lentine and helper and she said let's walk through the garden mentally and he said um what's it's March what are we doing what what do we see and he he said all is stirring hope is stirring and I I always think about that and I think about that I thought about that a lot during the pandemic and I think you know it's sentimental but I think that's true with gardening that hope there's always hope because there's always something that's coming up and I think that does help your mental mental state thank you once again to our sponsor Janice AC and to my guests Melissa Luciano and Claire for making this episode possible the editor of the Grand Tourist is Stan Hall To keep this going, please follow me on Instagram at Dan Rubenstein to learn more and sign up with your email for updates at thegrandtourist.net. And don't forget to follow The Grand Tourist on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you like to listen and leave us a rating or comment. Every little bit helps. Till next time.